Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. And I want to talk to you today about making room. Is that okay? Come on, look at somebody and say, make room. I believe that appetite's a big deal. And uh, I believe that what we make room for in our appetite will determine the direction of our lives. And so uh, Genesis chapter 20, 25, I'm going to tell some uh, jokes if that's okay. On. One of my mentors said that some humor in a message is like medicine that has some, gum, some candy flavor. Yeah. Kind of helps the medicine go down. And so we're going to uh, tell a couple stories here today. And uh, Genesis chapter 25, making room. If you're there, say I'm there. Yeah. If you need a second, just uh, go ahead and turn there. Uh, Genesis chapter 25, verse 24, there's a lady by the name of Rebecca. She's the, ni- the wife of Isaac, and she's pregnant. She's got twins coming. Anybody, any moms of twins in here? Where's my twin moms at? A couple of you, God bless you. Extra grace there, a couple of you twin moms. My brother and sister-in-law in Idaho, true story, they adopted twins, and then the biological parents said, hey, six months later, we had another kid. Do you want that one too? So they adopted three kids under the age of two, and then after 10 years of trying to have kids, got pregnant with twins. And then uh, after, after six months of having their own twins, they got pregnant with another set of twins. They got seven children. Come on, can we give the Lord the hand clap? That's not you today. Come on. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. No, I love all of my nieces and nephews. Still working on remembering their names, but I love all of them. And um, so excited. Well, hey, got your Bible this morning. Genesis chapter 25. It says this in verse 24. So the days of uh, Rebecca were fulfilled for her to give birth. Indeed, there were twins. Say with me, twins. Twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they named his name Harry. A lot of creativity here. Afterwards, his brother came out. His hand took hold of Esau's heel. So they called his name Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she, she bore them, so uh, he was from Orange County. <laughs> Sorry, shots fired. Uh, so the boys grew. Esau was a skillful hunter, had a show on the Discovery Channel, was a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in the tents of Barnes & Noble, sipping coffee and reading books, right? Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob, but Jacob cooked a stew. Say it with me, cooked a stew. Esau came in from the field and he was weary. The word weary literally means faint-hearted. It means exhausted. Who's ever been tired before? It says that he was weary. So Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with some of that stew, for I am weary. And he says that "Therefore therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as it is this day. It's a very unusual Bible story. One brother asks for a meal, and the other brother says, yes, for your inheritance. And lo and behold, the worst deal in the history of deals takes place in Genesis chapter 25. Then Jacob said, swear to me this day as it is this day. So he swore to him, and Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, and Jacob gave Esau bread and the stew of lentils. It's not even a good stew. Come on, I could get it. It's like maybe beef stew, you know, something that was a little bit more intense. Lentil stew? Have you had lentil stew? My wife likes it. That's, I'm like, no. 
Not today, devil. It says this, then he ate and he drank and he arose. Thus Esau despised, not, not his stupidity, he despised his birthright. His birthright. I'm going to pray real fast. I want to talk to you today about making room for what matters. Making room for what matters. Let's pray today. God, I just thank you for what you're doing in our church. We thank you that you're on the throne and whoever wins as we vote, God, tomorrow on early, early voting or we vote, God, by mail or we vote the day of. I ask you, Jesus' name, that regardless of who wins on the third, we just thank you that our faith is who's on the throne. I ask you that you would lead us, that you would guide us, give us wisdom, uh, direct our lives, love on us today, Holy Spirit, show up in power and might, save and heal, and have your way today. We thank you for the Lakers and for the Dodgers' victory, and we pray, Lord, for more victories for the Rams and for the 49ers, in Jesus' name. And everybody said a good old-fashioned amen. We had a lady this week go, a couple of, a couple of ladies DMing and goes, hey, you got to start praying for other franchises. I'm batting a thousand so far, right? Who likes any foodies in the room? Who's my, where's my foodies at? Any foodies? Anybody believe in exercising just to eat more? I exercise to break even. I'm at a point in my life that I'll do whatever it takes for the perfect body except eat less and exercise. Can I get an Amen. I love food, man. I like, I like food. I like food before food. Who likes appetizers, man? I like eating before I eat. I'm all about it. You want to you hang out? You want to be friends? Let's go eat. That's what Christians do, right? We believe in the art of eating. It's like a lot of us, we stop partying when we got saved, but we still eat. We're social eaters, right? I'll eat when I'm not hungry. I went to a gathering last night at a friend's house. I already had a steak, but I'm like, well, I'm here anyways. It's like it's 6 p.m. somewhere, you know. I, uh, I like food, and I like going to restaurants that give you great appetizers. Problem with me is, is uh, as a kid, I've always kind of had this problem with appetizers because I love snacking. I like anything that you can dip. If you can dip it, I'm into it. Sushi, yeah, give me some spicy mayo. I'm dipping. Soy sauce, come on, green soy sauce, low sodium. Come on, Orange County. I'm dipping. I'll dip, man, celery, carrots, peppers. I don't care. Come on, give me some ranch. Give me some ketchup. I'll take chips. I'll take salsa all day long. How many know that the food of heaven is Mexican? Come on. It's going to be everywhere in heaven. No calories in heaven. All the chips and guac you can eat. I love My problem with Mexican restaurants is I always fill up on chips. I'm like, I'm starving when I get in there. I'm just mowing it down. I'm like, bro, you better bring out a big bowl. You're going to burn some calories. You don't bring me out a big bowl of salsa and chips. I don't want to waste. Come on, give, come here. Give me something real. And uh, always, I'm always there. And the problem is I'll go to somewhere good like South of Nick's or who loves God's country called Javier's. Those seafood enchiladas made, come on, from the manna of heaven. So good. The problem is, though, is I'll get there and I start chewing on the chips and salsa, and I'm like, my gosh. You know the big salsa at Nick's? Yeah. I'm not into the little spicy one. The, me the medium one's like, ah. But the big salsa at South of Nick's? Muy bueno. <laughs> Listen to me. I started eating on it, and the problem is, you ever been there before? Your mom used to always tell you this as a kid. you got to stop eating so much, you're going to ruin your, you're going to spoil it. And I've, I feel like my whole life I've been wrestling against this idea of not, not, not ruining my appetite for the main, main meal. Yeah. 
And as I was praying this last couple of weeks, I just felt so strong. I could feel this overwhelming, and God speaks to me in unusual ways, but I just felt like the Lord said, Mark, tell my people to stop wasting their appetite on what's temporary. I heard the Holy Spirit just wanting me to encourage and challenge his people that if we're not careful, we'll get so caught up in current events that we fill up on the news. We fill up on what's happening on Netflix and we fill up what talk show we're listening to and we, we, we obsess over what we can't control. And we're so full of what's temporary that when the main course shows up on Sunday, we, we have hardly any room for him. And the problem is we leave church services the same way that we came because we're already too full on temporary. The story is so significant. It's one of the most uh, mind-boggling Old Testament stories that I've read. It's about a guy by the name of Esau who is older, and uh, he gets tired. He's out in the field. He's hunting. He's a man of the field. He's a man of war. And it says that he comes back one day so tired, so exhausted. And isn't it funny how your mind messes with you? When you're tired and weary, I'll tell you right now, sometimes relaxation can turn into relapsing. And many times we get so exhausted or so worn out that we make bad decisions when we're weak. You ever notice that when you don't eat enough, you'll get weak? You'll get headaches? If you don't eat long enough, you'll start losing muscle mass. You eat too much junk food, you'll get, come on, sick. Why is it that food is such a big deal? We're made with an appetite. Somewhere between hunger and eating is this word called appetite. Do you know that all of us have appetites? You write this in your notes today. I believe that your appetite will determine the direction of your life. What is your hunger leading you towards? Problem is we, we grew up in America, so our hunger is for glory. Our hunger is for gold. And our hunger is for girls and for guys. And the problem is, is everyone that's gone before us, we haven't learned from. I'm telling you that if gold, glory, and girls and guys made you satisfied, Orange County and Hollywood would be the most happy place in the world. Why, is, why are we seeing things like suicide and people going through difficulties and tragedy, losing their lives? Why is there so much pain in Orange County and Hollywood when we're married to models, we live in mansions, and we have tons of followers in the world? I'll tell you right now, it's because God gave you an appetite and as long as you are on the throne of it, you'll always be empty on the inside. Something so significant about in the very, very beginning of the Bible, Acts, uh, Genesis chapter 3, isn't it crazy that Adam didn't screw up humanity with murder? He didn't screw up humanity with stealing, with telling lies. He didn't sleep with someone that wasn't his wife. He simply disobeyed God by eating something and giving his appetite to the wrong thing. You know what the devil is so good at? He's so good at distracting your appetite by the things you can't have that you forget all of the trees that you can have. Adam and Eve, there's two trees out of the thousands that you can't have. And I want you to write this down today because God does not want, if he doesn't want you to eat something, it's for your benefit, not his. We often think, well, God's trying to ruin my fun. God's trying to cram my style. God's trying to be a cosmic killjoy. I want you to know that God tells us not to do certain things because he knows what will make us happy and what will make us miserable. I promise you, if God says not to do it, it's for your happiness, not just his. Can I get an amen? Well, Mark, I'm doing this crazy stuff that God doesn't want me to do, and I'm happy in the moment. 
Well, guess what? Esau was happy when the stew was going down his esophagus. But the moment that stew filled his stomach, it turned into gravel. And he realized that a temporary appetite stole an eternal blessing. Do you realize many people are giving up their marriages and giving up their careers and giving up the call of God for what's temporary? I want to tell you right now that if it doesn't satisfy you long term, it's not in the will of God. Can I get an amen? If it's not fun next week, it wasn't really fun. I grew up with friends that lived from Friday to Friday, Saturday to Saturday. We're going to party. We're going to go to the club. We're going to lose our minds. We're not going to remember what we did last night. And you wake up with this thing called regrets. It was awesome in the moment, but after it happened, I wish it didn't happen. I want you to know that if it's not fun a week from now, was it really fun? If it's not something that satisfies you a month or a year from now, was it really fun? And if you live wild while you're single and you're not going to be proud of it when you, meet, when you meet your wife or your husband one day, was it really God's best? It's getting quiet up in here. It's all right. I preach to faces, not our hearts, not faces. Some people in here don't realize that they're filling up their lives with junk food. I want to get hungry for God. Anybody else? Esau doesn't realize that his temporary craving to satisfy his temporary appetite would actually steal and rob from him being in the lineage of Jesus Christ. I think if he would have weighed the, 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 weighed the settings, can we agree that if you could say to your brother, I'm dying of, of hunger, what good is my birthright? I'm actually convinced that if he was strong enough to walk to the kitchen and eat the stew, he could have taken an extra three or four steps and made his own meal. What happens is, though, when you live for your carnal appetites, you'll always over-exaggerate over your carnal pleasures and underestimate your spiritual pleasures. That's what we do all the time. He says, I'm going to die. Really? You're really going to die, Esau? No, what you're going to do is you're going to sacrifice and you're going to kill your legacy. That's what giving in to your carnal appetite does. It'll sacrifice your, your legacy. He doesn't realize that 600 years from now, if he doesn't eat that nasty stew, that, that God would appear to this guy named Moses and the God of the universe. You know what he's going to do to Moses at a burning bush? He's going to introduce himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But the problem is, is he robs himself of God's very, very best because he wants what's now and not what's what lasts. I believe Orange County and Christians in America do, this, do the exact same thing. We are so hungry for temporary stew that we're sacrificing our eternal influence. I would rather tell someone off on social media and tell them why I'm voting for this guy and why I'm anti this organization and why I'm pro that organization. And we want to be right more than we want to make a, a difference in the world. I'm not hungry for stew. I'm, I'm hungry for eternity. Hey, Esau, do you know that if you eat that stew, you're going to rob yourself from being in the family of Jesus? Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, the lineage of God. It says, and God is the God of Abraham, the father of Isaac, the father of... Why do we remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It's because Esau gave into what's now instead of what lasts. I want to encourage you today that we have to be believers that live beyond today. This election will come and go. It is important. I believe that. We should vote. I believe that 2020 will come and go. This year has been important, but it will go. And there will be a day 
contrary to all the, all the speculation out there, that, that this world will go back to where it needs to go. Yeah. I'm telling you that the plague in the early 1900s, probably during the plague, they thought it was going to be that way forever. But we know the story that what's been is what will be. And there is nothing new under the sun. Are you hearing me today? America will navigate out of this. The world will lead through this. And if Jesus doesn't return, come on, God will redeem what we've lost. If you believe it, you can give him a hand clap today. That's not what's happening on the news. I have greater news than what I watch on Fox and what I watch on CNN. The Bible I read says that he rules and reigns over everything. And so today I want to encourage you, friends, that we serve a God that wants to give you a God appetite. Many people are satisfied with the wrong appetites. I was thinking about how in Genesis chapter 3, humanity was cursed by what hung on a tree that they ate. And I believe that humanity is blessed by what hung on a tree that we believe in now today called Jesus. Curse came through Adam's appetite losing it. And we were blessed by Jesus' appetite to redeem us. Appetite is a powerful thing. It affects the direction of your life. I want to give you today just a few ideas about what appetite we're supposed to have. You see, I believe that we're not supposed to have an appetite for stew. I believe we're supposed to have an appetite for our birthright. Do you know that everyone in this room, maybe you don't know it yet, but you're a son and you're a daughter of God. The moment you ask Jesus into your life, you become one of God's kids. You know, one of the greatest privileges of fathers and sons are, our, our fathers and grandfathers, is to work hard to leave behind what you earned by your life. That's one of the greatest things. The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Do you know that Abraham worked hard his whole life so he could lead a, a, a wealthy inheritance to Isaac? Do you know that Isaac worked hard his whole life so that he could leave an inheritance to Jacob, to Esau? And here's the problem today is we don't realize that Jesus worked hard during his 33 years of life and he died on the cross to leave an inheritance. What he worked for, we receive because of his hard work. And many Christians are living below what Jesus died to give us. So what is our birthright as children of God? I want you to know the first thing that you belong if you're a child of God is you have the right to God's directions. Do you believe this today, that God can direct your life? I'm not some cosmic accident. I'm not some molecular little bag of gas and oils and, and atoms. I am a creation of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm, my mom and dad might not have planned on having me, but God did. I didn't come from my parents. I came through my parents. I serve a God that wanted me. I don't know who you are. I feel like God wants me to tell someone. You might, you might have grew up maybe without having moms and dads, or you were raised by maybe adopted parents or grandparents. I want you to know that God desired you. You are in the heart of God. You are in the, you are in the mind of God, and that's why he made you, and he formed you. If you're here today, I want you to know that God is a God that promises to direct the lives of his children. I love Matthew chapter 6. It says, in, it says in Matthew chapter 5, excuse me, verse 6, it says that blessed are those, happy are those for what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know what righteousness is? It's awesome. It literally means right direction. Do you know what it means to hunger for righteousness? It says this. It's, it's like this. It's like saying, God, I am so thirsty to go where you want my life to go. 
to be what you want me to be in my life and to end up where you want me to end up. Who wants God to direct your marriage? 14 people. Who wants God to direct your children? Come on. 17 people. Who wants God to direct your life? The Bible promises as children of God, if we will invite him, God will direct us. If you believe it, come on, say amen. Amen. That is the God that we serve as he's a God that wants to lead us in the right direction. Righteousness means right wise. It means to live with a wisdom to do what's right in the moment that you need to do it. And it's interesting that the Greek, uh, the Greek language, it actually means the, the tense that it's used It actually means hunger and thirst for righteousness. It means this idea that you're hungry for all of the righteousness, not just part of it. I believe many Christians are hungry for just a little bit of God's righteousness. We want enough righteousness to keep us out of hell, but to allow us to still have fun on earth. I want to tell you today that I'm hungry for all of God's righteousness. Not only is the birthright of believers to go in the direction of God, I believe it is the birthright of sons and daughters of God to, come on, write this down, number two, that God wants you to grow. Do you know that God doesn't want you to be in the same place next year as you are this year? God wants our faith to grow. He wants our love to grow. He wants our belief to, are you hearing me today? So many of us, if we look back in our lives like, man, I'll be honest, my faith is smaller today than it was when I first became a Christian. I had more passion for God 20 years ago than I had today. You know my least favorite people were, Alex, when I got married? Were the older married couples that would say to me, oh, you guys just got married? Enjoy the honeymoon. Enjoy it while it lasts. I'm like, homie, that's your, that's your story. I'm dying on my honeymoon, son. I, I'm going to the grave in love with my wife. Don't, don't forecast your life. I have my own journey. I'm going to die in more love with my wife than I started my marriage. And I believe many Christians are like, well, it was good when I first believed in God in 1941. But I've lost my joy. And now I'm living like the cover girl for the book of Lamentations. That isn't my story. That's your story. The Bible says the path of the just is like the first gleaming of the dawn that shines ever brighter into the perfect day. The more we walk with him, the more that we should grow into him. It says in this in Ephesians chapter 4, what does it say? Verse 15, it says, likewise, speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow. Say with me, grow. Come on, say it again, grow. What do we grow into? We grow into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body being knit and joined together grows. Say it again. It grows and builds itself up in love. Do you know how Christians grow? Someone asked me, someone say, how do I grow? Thanks for asking. This is how you grow. You grow the same way you grow kids. Number one, someone say eat. Do you know that you can live 40 to 60 days without food? 40 to 60 days without food, you'll grow. You'll die after 40 to 60 days. Jesus said, I am bread. Say it one more time with me, bread. I believe that the first thing we got to know is we grow by feasting on bread. Jesus said, eat this day your daily bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every that proceeds from the mouth of God. How do we grow kids? We feed them. I want you to know today that Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 35, that I am the bread of life. 
Some of you have been feasting on glory. Some of you have been feasting on gold. Some of you have been feasting on wild living. And it's crazy. It's almost like salt water that the more you, you, you put in your body, the thirstier you become. And I want to tell you, Orange County, the only thing that will cause you to grow is Jesus. You were not made to live your life without God. Yes. Do you know who you really are? The truest version of you is who you are in the presence of Jesus. God wants you to grow by feasting on him, the bread of life. You can live 40 to 60 days without bread, but you can only live three days. Number two, how do you grow? You got to drink water. Do you know that God is not just bread? He is water. It says this, Jesus said in John 4, 14, whoever drinks this water I give will never thirst again. Isn't that a powerful verse? You can live three days without water. My friends, years ago, who remembers Warp Tour? <laughs> Come on, we're in church. Settle down. Not too low. I used to, my friends that went to war, went to a couple of Warp Tours back in the day. One of my friends went to a Warp Tour. He said that POD, POD, that's right. POD is there at this Warp Tour, and there's this huge crowd, and everyone's there, and they're partying, they're raging. And the lead singer, POD, my friend said, was there, and he's this little Christian kid. He's like, at this concert, he's so pumped. And he said there was an ocean full of people. And he said, the lead singer, P.O.D., said, who's having a good time? And they're like, yeah. He's like, who's like, who's ready to party? Everyone's like, yeah. He's like, raise your beer, raise your drinks if you want to have a good time. And everyone's like, yeah. And then as they had their drinks in the air, he says, now I want to tell you about a drink that you can drink and never get thirsty again. And the environment of, come on, Warped Tour was like, whoa. Just turned into Ocean's Church today. And everyone's attention was on this guy. And he started talking about how Jesus is the only one that when you put him into your soul and your spirit, you don't get thirsty again. 14, come on, if you're going to give him a clap, you've got a good hand clap today. He is the water that waters us. He is the bread that nourishes us. And guess what? He's not just bread and water. He is air. I'm telling you right now, you can only live a couple minutes without air. And I, I love this passage in Job 33, verse 4. He says, the spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Do you know where life comes from? It comes from the presence of God. Yeah. Some of you feel like you can't breathe. I'll tell you why. It's because you haven't been spending time in the oxygen of God's presence. They have those oxygen bars. You ever seen them at malls? Need some oxygen. I'll tell you what, what, where oxygen comes from. It comes from the presence of God. And so many people are, are malnutrition. They're, they're, they're dealing with this, this deficiency because they're not dealing with God's bread. They're not spending time drinking God's water. And they're not spending time, like Psalms 150 says, let everything that has breath. There's something about worship that puts air back inside of your soul. We are believers that grow by bread, water, and air. And I'll tell you what else is a birthright of believers. Not only is it, is it growth, is it direction. I want you to know we serve a God that wants to give his people strength. Yeah. I might get some pushback in here because some of you grew up in churches that said you have to get beat up every day. That God can't help you overcome addictions. That how you were born is how you have to die. And I want you to know if your dad was an alcoholic, you don't have to die an alcoholic. If grandma was a liar, mom was a liar, so-and-so was a thief, they were a thief. If, if, if darkness, if adultery, if, if, uh, if, if dark, bad lifestyle choice, if that stuff runs in your family lines, it does not have to run through your line. 
I believe in a God, I believe in a God, listen to me real clear today, that gives us strength. And this is what separates maybe what we preach from a lot of churches is we believe in a God that gives his people the power to overcome. I don't know if I believe that. All right, come on, Jethro, write this down. It says this in Revelations 12, 11. It says they, 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 they survived, they managed, that they held on by the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony, the love of the life, son of death. John on the island of Patmos, who would actually get thrown into boiling oil to deny his faith, he would write that they overcame. I want you to know that Jesus, we go through hardships, we go through tragedy like everybody else, but we serve a God that gives us the strength to overcome. How can you overcome when you go through temporary loss? I can overcome in the temporary because I serve a God of the eternal. Are you hearing me today? I believe that eternity is our home. And when we go through momentary losses in this life, we still have eternal victory. My wife's uncle died of blood cancer. He preached, he wrote a book on healing. He said, God, heal me and I'll write a book on healing. God said, write the book on healing and then I'll heal you. And his healing didn't come in the form on this side of eternity. Like we have seen many times people getting healed of cancer. He got healed on the other side of eternity. I went to his funeral. He gave us uh, these little sleeves of golf balls. Every ball had this little saying on it. And it says, no matter what happens, we win. And I want you to know that the hope we have in Jesus is that whatever this life throws at us, we have the victory. And the victory is our 14. Come on, give give my hand claps. I'm going to break out of this lethargy that we're just getting our butts kicked all the time. We win. In life we win, in death we win. Well, I don't want to die. Well, last time I checked, mortality hovers right around 100%. No No one makes it off this rock alive. That we have to live in the strength of God, in the victory of God, while we have our being. We serve an overcoming God. God gives us the strength to overcome. He gives us the strength to rise. He gives us the grace to resist. He gives us the ability to bounce back. We don't serve a wimpy God that does wimpy things. The Bible says he opens up his hands and satisfies the desires of every living thing. We serve a victorious God. If he can get out of the grave, he can get you out of that addiction. He can get you out of that temptation. God can get you out of that debt. God God is a strong God. The problem is, is we worship a God that's made in our image instead of worshiping a God that we're made in his image. He's not limited like you. He's not, he's not handcuffed like you are. He'll take you somewhere that you can't take yourself. We serve a strong God. If you believe it, say amen. And not only is the keys come up, I'm almost finished. Do we serve a God that's strong? We serve a God that gives us the birth, birthright of forgiveness. Jesus, it says that Paul writes about Jesus that, that God made him who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, become sin for me and you, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Someone say it with me, appetite. I want you to know that God gave you an appetite for forgiveness. Who's ever, who's ever bought into this idea that if I do something bad, I got to like do something good to make up for it? We all are wired with this idea that I have to fix what I screw up. And I, I'll be really, really honest today. Without Jesus, there is no true resolve for our mess ups. You can't do enough good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds. And today I want you to know that if you didn't need a savior, God wouldn't have sent one. 
if you could heal yourself, fix yourself, if you could pick yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps, whatever the heck that means, if you could do it on your own, God would not have sent Jesus. The moral of the story of morality is that humanity could not save itself. We needed a God that would forgive us. Ever lied? Ever screwed up? Ever said something that you shouldn't have said? Did something you shouldn't have done? Well, take it, take a ticket, stand at the back of the DMV line of heaven, and realize this, that we all need forgiveness. And I got good news for you today, that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you from your low moments. I want you to know that closets are for clothes and vacuum cleaners, not for secrets. The Bible says if I confess my sins to God, that he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It actually goes on, it says in James, that if you confess your sins one to another and pray for one another, that God will do more than forgive you. Check this out. Number five, write it down. He'll heal you. Do you know that Christianity, the birthright of sons and daughters of God, is he said that you will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Well, I got prayed for and I didn't get healed. Who's ever met someone that has been healed? Well, we shouldn't pray because not everyone's going to get healed. I'm not going to let what doesn't happen affect what I try. I'm never going to let doubt write the narrative of our church. I say it all the time. I would rather, I'd rather pray for everybody and only see a couple people get healed than not pray for anyone so no one's disappointed. Are you with me today? We are a God, we are, we are a church that's going to swing for the fence. And I'd rather strike out in faith than live like this. We have a bunch of churches just bunting through earth. I'm tired of bunting. We're going to gloriously strike out or we're going to gloriously knock the ball out of the stadium. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did not bunt when he went to the cross. He didn't bunt when he came out of the grave. He didn't bunt when he showed himself to 500 people for 40 days. He didn't bunt when he ascended into heaven like David Copperfield and said, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem and don't leave until you're endowed with power from on high. We don't serve a God that bunts. We serve a God that swings. So we're a church that swings for the fence. Are you hearing me today? And I'm telling you that when you, when you realize that he forgives me, he has the power to heal me. And guess what? Number six, he has this desire as a father to give his kids, write it down, number six, power. I'm going to spend the next three weeks talking about power. Because I believe many Christians are so frustrated in Orange County because you're trying to live like Jesus without the spirit that Jesus lived with. We call him the Holy Spirit. He's not a force, he's not an it, he's a person. He's not weird, he's not spooky. There's some Holy Spirit-filled Christians that are spooky, that are weird, but they would be weird and spooky without the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen in the church? What are you, what are you saying today? I'm saying this, that if you want to live like Jesus lived, you have to have what Jesus had. You know what power is? It comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. You ever thought about how this guy, Peter, could deny Jesus three times one day, being scared of a little girl's opinion, and the next day stand up in front of 3,000, beat his chest, and go preach the greatest message that we've ever heard? 
lead 3,000 strangers to Jesus? How do you go from wimpy to courageous? Great question. He had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. How do you go from timid, fearful, worried, anxious to overcomer? Great question. The Holy Spirit. Well, I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, you'll make it to heaven, but you'll take the stairs. And that's fine. I respect people that take the stairs at airports. I think you're dumb, but it's all right. If there's an escalator that's free, I'm not taking the stairs. Can I get an amen? That was mean. Come on, stay with me today. If I can take the escalator, why would I waste time on the organized hill called stairs? I'm not taking the stairs, friends. You seen them at the airports before? They got like a 95 pound backpack on. They're CrossFitters. You know they're CrossFitters because when you talk to them on the plane, the first thing they said was, Hi, I'm a CrossFitter named Mark. I'm kidding. <laughs> CrossFitters like vegans and atheists, they, they tell you before anything else. I'm a CrossFitter, a vegan, atheist. They're proud of it. I don't like taking the stairs. I like taking escalators. You ever see people take the, the stairs? You're like, hey, this thing's free. We're not charging to take the escalator. Why are you taking the stairs? I like the exercise. I'm an overachiever. I like the ease of going up without working. And I'm telling you right now that you can live this life as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. But you will miss out. I'll tell you right now, you can have a house without a dishwasher, a washing machine, a microwave, and an oven. You can live without power. But I choose not to. I like my dishwasher. I appreciate my washing machine. I go to Australia, all my friends hang their clothes up. I'm like, that's great for you. I need a, I need a dryer. I got 45 minutes to get out of here. I believe that many Christians live with no power. And I'm going to talk the next few weeks about how Christianity is unlike any other world religion. We have the only deity that promises to live inside of us and allow his power to flow through us. No one else. Buddha doesn't promise to possess his followers. Muhammad doesn't promise to fill his people up and give him power from on high. Only Jesus says, greater works will you do than I go to the Father. And I'm telling you right now that his desire is to fill his kids with power. It's not scary. Well, I went to a spirit-filled church and it was weird. Well, I'm sure it was. There's a lot of weird spirit-filled churches. But I want to tell you that you can be full of the Holy Spirit and not be weird. Can we all say this? Write this in your notes. We will be naturally spiritual and spiritually natural. We're not normal businessmen. And then when the Holy Spirit shows up, we start talking in the King's English, the Queen's English, start praying in a different voice. You've met people like this before. You watch Christian television, like, oh my gosh. I'm telling you right now that I'm, God's desire is to fill you and to make you bold with strength from on high. Can I get an amen? I feel like I kicked some sacred cows. I love it right now. I can feel it in the atmosphere. I don't know if I like this. I'm telling you, you want power in your life. I was in, a, I was in Columbia about a year and a half ago, and I went to this lady's little hut. And she literally lived in like a tent like this. It was like a tin roof. There was no bathroom. There was no running water. There was no dishwasher. There was no wash machine. There was no air conditioning. And I'll be really honest with you. I guarantee if she had the choice to live in her structure that had nothing, no power, or to live in my house or your house, she would choose ours without even blinking an eye. 
You know why? Because power changes the quality of your life. And I believe many Christians, you're, you're so depressed because you're like, I want to live godly without God. It's tough. I want to live holy. It's hard to live holy without the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite him today in this church to come and to fill up everyone that's hungry for him. We're going to be a church as birthrights, as children of God, that are directed by him, that grow in him, that are strengthened by him, that are forgiven by him, that are healed by him. And guess what? Are filled with the power that comes from our God. If you believe it, give him a hand clap all over this tent today. You believe that? Stand your feet today. I'm about finished. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I just I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Who's ever felt goosebumps before at church? Anybody feel goosebumps? A little, little tingles? Who's ever felt like you start getting kind of emotional? I don't know why I'm getting kind of emotional today. You ever felt like power going through your body? I've had moments with God. I'll be honest with you. If you want to have an encounter today, with, or if you want to get hungry for God today, the first thing that needs to happen is you have to want it. You got to realize that there's something missing in your life. You can live in a beautiful house, be married to a model, and realize I don't have a hunger for God. I'll tell you right now, when you start asking God for a hunger, he'll give it to you. And when you start praying for it, you start thinking about past encounters. You start listening to other people's encounters. It'll make you hungry for one. I remember being 18 years of age. I'll never forget. I didn't really believe in God. He was there somewhere, but I didn't think I could know him personally. And I'm in McCall, Idaho. I'm at a summer camp. I'm 18 years old. There's about 300 young people there, and they were singing Kumbaya and all the nasty church songs we used to sing. Who's grateful the music's gotten better in the church? Singing these songs, I'm just bored out of my mind. They're the songs that had like actions to them. I'm like, thank God we got out of that season of the church. But I'm like, God, if you're real, prove it to me. I said a bold prayer. I said, God, if you're really real, some spooky Christians in here, but if you're real, show me. And I'll never forget there was this Mexican preacher named Benny Perez. This dude was fired up. He was preaching like he had some Jehovah Java in him. He was caffeinated. He was fired up. He was fiery. I heard a voice inside of me say, Mark, one day you're going to do what he's doing. I heard it. And I'll never forget, he preached like Jesus was alive. He talked like he knew him. And then at the end, he invited God to demonstrate his power. And there was a girl in the camp that broke her ankle that day in the games. Went to the ER, her foot was swollen, it was black and blue. And I'll never forget, it was the year 2000, the year 2000. And he said, young lady, come up on the stage. And he was praying for all these people to get healed. And he called this girl out and he said, come up to the stage, God's gonna heal you right now. And this girl came on the crutches and she started like crying. And then she like started like, like screaming. Like, oh my gosh, whoa. Whoa! She starts screaming, oh my God, what's going on? I was like freaked out. And she says, I feel him. I feel him. I feel him. And literally the swelling in front of about 300 kids goes down. She takes off her cast, her black and blue foot from that day, coloring came back to normal in front of everybody's eyes. She started, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. And she starts fully healed in this service. She had an x-ray that morning of a broken foot. Gets healed in front of my eyes. I'm like, maybe there's something to this Christianity thing. 
started paying attention. I've seen almost every miracle in the Bible. I would go on the record to say I've never healed anybody, but I've prayed for people on almost every continent in the world and I've seen God heal. I've seen people that have had organs removed from their body get, have creative miracles. I've seen on three occasions people that have either had some sort of partial or full hysterectomy that have gotten pregnant with biological children. I've seen a blind, I've seen three or four occasions of blind eye opening up. I've seen deaf ears open up in our services. Our, our, our ministry in Idaho got big, not because I'm a good preacher and because we had great musicians. It was because every week, atheists and college intellectuals were showing up and God was healing people. And they're like, this is real. This is real. Remember, there was a kid that was blind in his right eye that got com completely healed in our, in our basement. 75 kids in the basement. There was a girl that do dove into a pool when she was young, blew her eardrum out, had popping in her ear, 25% of her hearing got completely healed. We had one of our leaders who got saved in our, in our college ministry, who actually gave her life to Jesus six months before, acquired a STD, lived a wild life, and during premarital, she said to me, she goes, I'm so ashamed. I'm marrying this guy who's never been with anybody and I have a bad past and I have a lifelong STD. And I said, God can heal STDs like he can heal anything else. The next night at our service, God would heal her. She would go to her annual doctor's appointment the day after our service, call me in the morning crying, say, it's gone, it's gone. She ran three tests. She has two kids today and no diseases in her body. Well, I don't think God does, listen, you, you get what you believe for. I believe in a God that can do anything. And we're gonna be a church that miracles happen in because we believe that God still can. If you believe it, give him a good hand clap and a shout. You reign, you reign, you reign over cancer. You reign over viruses. You reign over disorders. You reign over addictions. You reign over the spirit of death. God, you reign. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.